This is a LifeGate Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we encourage you to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. If you want to find out more about who we are, visit lifegate.org.au. It was March 2006. I come home from a day of teaching at the school I was at, and I was in my backyard digging holes, pulling out weeds, can't remember exactly. And Michelle comes to the back door of her house and she says, Nathan, I want to talk to you. I said, oh, just a minute. No, Nathan, I need to speak. No, Nathan, I need to speak to you. Okay. So I go up to the back door and I meet her at the back door of the house and she says, Nathan, I'm pregnant. And I froze. I was shocked. I was surprised. Now, I suppose I, in hindsight, I shouldn't have been that surprised because we'd been practicing a whole heap because we were only in the marriage for like two years or something. But wow, was I surprised. I was shocked. And it turned out to be Aiden and hey, happy days, great kid, what a blessing. But at the time, it was a huge surprise. I wonder what has surprised you over the years. Maybe you've got a 10-year-old kid and a 12-year-old kid and then along came the third one. Or maybe you went to... Is that Bethany? <laughs> that was a bit obvious, Mum. Maybe it was, it was a surprise party. Maybe someone who you hadn't seen for many, many years turned up and, and, and you saw them. It was like a big surprise. Maybe someone gave you a gift. There's many examples of where we're surprised. And, and it's now the uh, second week in December. I'm thinking about what you just did, Beth. Um, Donna, that's really funny. Um, it's the second week of December, and we're thinking about Christmas and the Christmas story. And in the Christmas story, there's people who are really surprised. You get Mary, who is this young girl, and an angel turns up to her and says, you're going to have a kid. What the? And then Joseph finds out that his fiance is pregnant. Big surprise to him. And then the angel turns up to him. After the birth, the shepherds are out in the fields. A big surprise for them. The angels turn up and sing these songs and they say to these shepherds, go and see the baby. All these surprises. But there was someone who was not surprised in the Christmas story, and that was God. God was not surprised by the Christmas story because God had a plan. You know, all the, uh, the uh, reason we get surprised is because the things that surprise us are unexpected. Yeah? They are things that we don't, don't plan. But with God and the Christmas story, it was planned out. God was not surprised by the birth of Jesus. About, um, throughout the Old Testament, God leaks. You know how politicians leak information before the big announcement? Well, God did that. He leaked for about 4,000 years of the history of the world, leaked about his son coming, what he was going to be like, where he was going to be born, what he was going to do. And then came the big announcement. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ. He is Christ the Lord. We're in a uh, series called, Who is This Baby? And last week, we went to John chapter 1, and we talked about mistaken identity and how people don't see Jesus for who he truly is. Many people don't, but others of us do. And this morning, I want to take you to Matthew's account of, of, of the birth of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a version, if you've got a Bible gateway, if you, whatever you, app you use or a book, how many people use books? One, two, 
three, four, five, six. How many people have got their, their Bible on their phone, device? Everybody else? Yes. Not surprised. Matthew chapter 1 starts like this. Matthew was a Jew, and he's writing to Jews, and he writes this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, this little sentence here is jam-packed with phrases that are really, really important. He starts by saying this is the genealogy of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a common name at the time. Another way of saying it's Joshua. It means the saves, person saves. And so Matthew distinguishes this Jesus that he's writing, out, writing about from every other Jesus. It's a bit like Mark. If you've got a name Mark, put your hand up. One, two, any other Marks in the room? I oh, just two. That wasn't so exciting. What's a name that's very common? David. Any Davids in the room? Two Davids. Whatever. Move on. That wasn't so good either, David. Thank you for that. Um, Jesus was really popular, so he distinguishes this Jesus from all the others, and he calls him Jesus the Messiah. Now, the word Messiah is the, is the Hebrew word. There's another word. It's a Greek word, and it's, it's the word Christ. Messiah and Christ, same word, and it means anointed one. It means chosen one. Jesus the chosen one. This is his genealogy. He describes him as the son of David. Now, who's David? It wasn't David Thomas. It was King David. And that was very important because God told David, King David, that one of his sons was going to be a ruler and his kingdom was never going to end. Hugely important. And the people at the time knew that. They also knew that this, that, that this Messiah was going to come from the line of Abraham. In Genesis 12, God calls out Abraham from all the peoples of the world and says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bring my message to the world through you. The whole world is going to be blessed. Through you, a great nation, a great land, through Abraham. And so Matthew sets up, to, for those who are reading, he's writing about Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, who is separate from all the other Jesus. He's in the line of King David, and he's from the line of Abraham. This is the guy. Then, he doesn't just say it. He then goes on and proves it. He proves the genealogy. And I put it in really, really little font because we're not going to read it. He says, Abraham was the son of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brother Judah, and on and on and on it goes. All the way down to this bit. And Jacob became the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now we have two genealogies in the uh, birth narratives. We have a genealogy in Matthew. But we also have a genealogy in Luke chapter 2. And the genealogies are different. That's a bit confusing. Matthew's genealogy starts with Abraham and goes through to Jesus. Um, Luke's one actually starts with Adam, as in God made Adam, and goes from Adam all the way through to Jesus. Where it gets different is from King David onwards. That they're, they're pretty much the same to King David. And then Matthew's genealogy follows the line of Joseph. Luke's genealogy, after King David, follows the line of Mary. Both Mary and Joseph are descendants of King David. And that's where Jesus comes from, which is beautiful. Why, why, is, it that, why is it that both Mary and Joseph are descendants of David, who were the parents of Jesus? Why is it that there were 14 
generations in verse 17. There was 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile. And so why 14? Why 14? Why 14? Let me tell you, because God had a plan. It wasn't just some random thing that happened. Well, do you reckon Holy Spirit's about right? Jesus, are you ready to go yet? Do you reckon now's about time we should send you to earth? No, there was a plan. And this plan started actually before the foundations of the world. There's this beautiful picture. There's this beautiful scripture in 1 Peter. And it says it also in Revelation. It's in two places in the New Testament. It says this, 1 Peter 1.18, for, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to, do, handed down to you from your ancestors, but rather with the precious blood of Jesus. And this is the, this is the bit I want to pull, pull out. But with the precious blood, precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen when, let's all say it together, before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, it was decided that Jesus was going to come and be the rescuer. Before the creation, it was decided that God was going to save his people, which meant he knew what we were going to do. He knew about the fall. He knew people's choices. He knew how people would reject him and turn away from him. And even in that, God chose any way to create. God chose any way to rescue. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then, throughout the Old Testament, we're told over and over again, God leaks, God leaks what this Messiah is going to be like. Straight after the fall, Adam and Eve sin, they ate the fruit. God, God says this to the serpent, who is Satan. He says, and I'll put my enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That idea of this descendant of the woman crushing Satan's head, the scholars believe this is the picture of Jesus. It starts back in Genesis 3.15. Then God says something to Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus. He says, I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And here it is. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is an obvious declaration about a Messiah, a, a Savior to come. Some 2,000 years before Jesus, he declares it. God says it again to Moses, 1,500 years before Jesus. This is what it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. A prophet like me from among you and from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Another prophet uh, an incredible prophet, another picture of someone pointing to Jesus. God speaking to David a thousand years before Jesus. He says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Now you might think, well, isn't that his son Solomon? But if you go on reading, yes, it is Solomon, but it's so much bigger than Solomon. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
A man cannot do that. But God, Jesus Christ in heaven can have a kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. 720 years approximately before Jesus, God speaks to Isaiah and he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we will call him Emmanuel. Now that verse there, 720 years before Jesus, 724 years, God says this to Isaiah about his son. There's going to be a virgin. She's going to give birth. What the, what's that about? And they're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Next one, 720 again, Isaiah, Isaiah 9. For to us, a son is born. Sorry, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Incredible scriptures. 700 years before Jesus. Here's another one from Isaiah. But he was, he, but he was pierced. Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the sin, the brokenness of us all. That's not talking about his birth. That's talking about his death on a cross. These verses where God leaked what his son was going to be like, because God has a plan. Last one, Micah, from verse, chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, who oranges, whose oranges, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. I'm talking too much. It all gets muddled up sometimes. Friends, I just gave you nine or eight Old Testament prophecies that pointed to Jesus. Scholars believe. Exactly. There's people, scholars believe there's actually more than about 300 scriptures that point to Jesus coming. 300. Over thousands, 2,000 years, maybe long, longer since creation. God had a plan. God was not surprised by the birth of Jesus. He had a plan to rescue his humanity. Going back to Matthew chapter 1, we read about the genealogies. And then in verse 18, we have the story of Joseph. And this is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, son of David, in the line of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, 
and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Tonight, I have the privilege of going down to the carols. Rotary's asked me to share what Christmas is about. <laughs> what a privilege that is. And I'm going to read him this verse. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. From the very, very, very beginning, from the very, very beginning, it was decided that Jesus was going to come from that passage in 1 Peter, was going to come and be the rescuer for us. When, when the angel announces to Joseph about this son, he describes him as the one who is going to save people from their sins. Incredible. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him, he gave him the name Jesus. You know, in this, in this story, in this series of events, we see that even before God made, it was decided that Jesus was going to be our saviour. Then as soon as people sinned, Genesis 3.15 he speaks to Satan, the enemy, and says, one of the woman's offspring is going to crush your head. And then throughout the history, God leaks, scholars say over 300 times about what this Messiah is going to be like, what he's going to be do. At his birth, it's declared that he is going to be the Savior, and then Jesus lives some 30, 33 years, and then goes to that cross and becomes our Savior. He dies on the cross for my sin. He dies on the cross for your sin. He dealt with it. He took the punishment that we deserved for our sin upon himself. He took God's anger upon himself. He took the death sentence that we deserved for our sin upon himself. The relationship with God that was busted up because of our sin gets restored because of his death. And then in his resurrection, he gives us new life. God planned it. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an afterthought. It was planned before creation because God wants us in relationship with him. He wants us. He loves us. He's for us. And we see the most beautiful thing in Jesus' birth, his death, and his resurrection, his, ascended, his ascension. But let me say that God's not finished yet. It's not like God had a plan to his birth, his death, and resurrection, and he said, well, that's it. No. God still has a plan. For his people. God's plan is that people would come into relationship with him. His plan for us is that we would have life in abundance. His plan is to comfort us in our struggle. His plan is to meet all our needs in accordance with his riches that are in glory. His will is that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works. He has prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, God just didn't get to the birth and the resurrection, said I, the death and resurrection, say, now I'm done, I finished, it's up to them now. No, no, God still has a plan. He has a plan for my life, He has a plan for your life, 
He wants us to love him. He wants us to love others. He wants us to present this incredible message of this, this good news of Jesus. It's so good. He wants everyone to know about it. He has a plan for us until, until the day when Christ returns. When all things will reach its fulfillment. The Bible talks about a trumpet blasting. And every eye will see him as he comes like he went up. He's going to come and every eye will see him. And on that day, the dead in Christ will raise first and all those who belong to him will be taken. And then I don't know how that all works, but there's going to be a judgment day. And we're going to be asked to give an account of how we lived. Those who are Christians are into heaven. And then we have a second judgment. God's going to say, what are you going to do with what I've given you? And then we're going to have rewards and heaven, and it's beautiful. See, God's plan is still being fulfilled. Now, you might say, when is this second coming going to happen? Well, even Jesus didn't know that. He says this, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. But friends, let me tell you, God has a plan for that day. It doesn't say God's going to make the day up later. No. The Father knows the day. That was 2,000 years ago Jesus said that. The Father knows the day. He has got a plan. We can trust him. He has a plan. And Jesus is coming back. And we obviously need to be ready for that. I started talking about um, surprises. And we talked about some of the good surprises that we have. The birth of Bethany's. That's a wonderful surprise. Amen? Amen. Um, Surprise parties. I put a surprise party on for my wife when she was 21. And she wore this red dress. Ooh la la. It was amazing. We weren't engaged or anything. I just thought she was really hot. Still is. Um, When you get a gift, that's a nice surprise. When someone turns up to you, they're all nice surprises. Because they're unexpected. But sometimes in life, we go through surprises that aren't what we want. That are actually horrible. We just talked about last week the death of Sarah Lee. That was a surprise, and it's not what we wanted or expected. Sometimes we can run into financial difficulty. Sometimes we can run into relationship bust bust up, and it was unexpected, and you didn't see it coming, and you're shocked. and, and And so we go through surprises that are really positive for us, but we go through surprises that are really awful for us, really, really, really difficult. And it's in those times when something happens that it surprises unexpected that we can feel like we're drowning. We can feel like the life has been sucked out of us. It feels like we can just be going for survival. And it's it's in those moments we we can put all our focus on that surprise that was really difficult, that was really, really hard. We can give it all our attention or... We can lift our eyes and we can look to him who has a plan. We can look to him who loves you, who is the all-knowing God who saw your surprise before it happened. God was not surprised by your surprise. 
And you might say, well, why didn't he stop it then? Why didn't he change it then? Well, if he stopped everything and changed everything, we'd be robots and people wouldn't have free will. Sometimes he steps in, but other times he allows. And why does he allow? We don't know that. But he allows because he wants people to choose and, and, and to reap the, the fruits of our choices. And that's very gracious and that's very loving and that's very caring, actually, to allow people to choose. It's in those moments when we're surprised by something that's negative The natural thing to do is to let that thing consume you and to put all your attention on that. And let me say, you need to focus on that some some of the time and you need to sort out some of that stuff. You need to put your attention there. But if that's all you do, you're likely to drown. My encouragement for you is to lift your eyes to him who loves you, to him who has a plan for your life, to him who is your comfort, who is your support. He's the one who opens doors where it seems like the door is closed. He's the one that makes a way where there seems there is no way. He's the one who is our healer, our savior, our Lord. He's the one who is our creator. He's the one who loved you so much that he gave his very, very best for you. That is his son. That is God, the son, dying for me and for you. He loves you that he gave his best. So in life, when you're surprised by things that are just horrible, look up to the one who wasn't surprised. Ask him to heal. Ask him to meet you there. And do something unique and incredible in your life. There's a scripture, our last scripture for today. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That thing, that surprise that makes you worry, that makes you fearful. Say, God, I got this. I hand it over to you. You do with this. It's too big for me. I can't change it. I can't fix it. And regularly the, the surprises in our life are things that happen to us that we have no control over. Particularly those things. God, I give them to you. I asked you to deal with this. I asked you to handle this because it's too big for me. And as you do that, the scripture says in Philippians chapter 4 that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That is, the, that is the, the kindness and the beauty of our God. So as we come to a close this morning, what is this thing for you that's causing you angst? Is there a surprise in your life that's happened and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's been a curveball, it's thrown you sideways? It's been really difficult. What is that for you this morning? We're going to pray, and as we pray, my encouragement to you is commit it to him who cares for you. Commit it to him who has a plan for this world. Commit it to him 
who was not surprised by the thing that's going on. Committed to him who can comfort you, who can open doors, who can break chains, who can heal bodies. Committed to him and ask for his peace to come upon you. In Jesus' name, let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God with a plan. That you don't leave things to chance, but you knew how it was going to go. And you chose to rescue us. You chose to send your son. You choose now to work in our lives and that one day Jesus is coming. You are all-powerful. You are truly the Almighty. And now, Lord, we come to you with our stuff, knowing that you care for us, knowing that you comfort us, knowing that you make a way where it seems there is no way. And we bring to you our stuff. So, friends, take a few moments. Bring to God your stuff. Thanks for joining us on the LifeGate Church podcast. Our church is a place to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. 